Hello and welcome to Full Contact Nerd, where we talk about fiction and storytelling in all its forms. From the weird to the fantastic, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, mysteries, anything you can ask for, we have it. I'm Chris Alvarez, and thank you for listening. I'm speaking with Dr. Scott Peoples, author of The Man of the Crowd, Edgar Allan Poe, and The City, published by Princeton University Press, October 20th, 2020. Thank you for speaking with me. It's great to be here, Chris. Thanks. Um, so first, um, you've done a lot of work um, on Edgar Allan Poe. How did you get into studying the man and his work? Well, I think, you know, like uh, like most people... I grew up knowing about Poe. I remember, uh, I guess, hearing uh, audio versions of Poe's uh, stories from my older siblings before mm -hmm. I could read. They were telling stories about uh, dismemberment and uh, hearts beating under the floorboards and things like that, just to to scare the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I, you know, I'd always, you know, I'd, I'd always appreciated Poe on that level. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, then. Surprisingly, I went, when I went to graduate school um, uh, in the early 1990s, I was taking uh, a course on the modern short story. Mm -hmm. Hadn't expected to encounter, well, it, at least not, you know, see Poe taken so seriously there. But um, mm. I, uh, but I quickly learned that Poe was one of the architects of the modern short story, and that mm. uh, you know it, it probably wouldn't have developed the way it did without him. So. Uh, I started thinking about Poe's significance in literary history uh, on top of having an appreciation for Poe as a Gothic writer. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I really started thinking about Poe in that way mm -hmm. uh, as a Ph.D. student. Okay. Um, and I'll mention because you're also co-editor co of the Oxford Handbook of Edgar Allan Poe. Is that correct? I am. And uh, the guy who taught the course I was just talking about. This is my co-editor, Jerry Kennedy. Oh, okay, okay. So so let's talk about this book. Um, the book is about how, at, at least your thesis is that, uh, you know, the, the places he lived, the cities he lived in shaped shaped his work. Can you talk about how you uh, approach that in the book? Sure. Um, you know, I had become interested in just the whole idea of Poe and place generally because uh, throughout a lot of the history of criticism on Poe, uh, place had been kind of neglected. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a natural tendency to do that because so many of Poe's works are set in indeterminate places. Mm -hmm. And because, unlike a lot of other major American authors, he's not closely associated with one place the way that like Nathaniel Hawthorne is with Salem or... Thoreau is with uh, with Concord. Mm -hmm. um, no, I think if you so, went to Baltimore, they would they would uh, <laughs> they would argue with you on that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, and Baltimore has certainly embraced Poe, uh, you know, since since his death. Mm -hmm. um, so it's true that people do kind of think of Baltimore as the Poe city, but he really only spent a few years there, and um, it, at least in the you know the criticism that I you know, had, had become. Uh, you know, familiar with just the whole idea of uh, of place seemed to be secondary in Poe. So, you know, basically, I I wanted to challenge that a little bit or uh, push back some, and 
think about Poe's biography with a, with more attention to where he lived and why he lived there. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I kept working on this book project, um, it, it began to make sense to me to uh, organize it around the four cities where he spent the most time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Richmond, Baltimore, Philadelphia, and New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, you know, I, I feel like Poe's career really makes more sense if you think about it in the back with the the backdrop of urbanization mm-hmm. and the way that it was transforming American society uh, in the 1830s and 40s when Poe was writing uh, all of his work mm-hmm. uh, or almost all of his work. Um, so uh, that you know that became the framework, and uh, I. I also wanted to write a book about Poe that emphasized some of his uh, writing that doesn't get as much attention. Mm -hmm. And that happens to be in in some cases uh, stories and essays that have to do with the cities where he was living. Mm -hmm. So um, just to sort of set the stage or those four cities, how, as far as their relative sizes and importance in the American scene, um, you know, we have our, our view of it now. How, were, were they similar in relation to each other back in this time? Yeah, you know, actually pretty similar. Um, uh, New York was becoming, you know, what we think of New York as now. Um, it was growing faster than any other city. And in Poe's lifetime, it really, you know, kind of became the publishing center of the United States, mm-hmm. uh, which was what mattered most to him. Uh, Baltimore also just was growing like gangbusters in the 1820s and 30s. So when Poe was living there, uh, Baltimore was experiencing a lot of immigration. Uh, it was really kind of a boom town. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philadelphia, you know, maybe Philadelphia grew tremendously during this, this period too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, not as much or as dramatically as New York, but, um, you know, it was, you know, I think if you were thinking about these cities kind of relative to each other mm-hmm. as East Coast, uh, you know, East Coast uh, metropolises in the 1840s, mm-hmm. you'd probably think of them roughly the way that people do now. Okay. Um, and I did notice in the book description something that really stood out. And I don't want to say surprised me, but I hadn't thought about it before was... Um, uh, the, the, the slavery auction houses in Richmond. And, you know, I think I forget some, you know, when you read his writing, I don't know how often he brought up slavery or any issues like that in his writing, but I never think about that. And yet, yes, when he lived, slavery was a big issue. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, I, I think that one of the things that has been overlooked in not paying more attention to Poe and the places where he lived mm-hmm. uh, is, is just that. I mean, when Poe was living in Richmond, he wasn't just, he wasn't just living in a Southern city at a time when there was slavery in the South. Mm-hmm. He was living in, in, in one of the cities that was a major hub for the slave trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and beyond that, he was often living and working within blocks of slave auction houses and jails uh, so it's, you know, it's it's impossible to imagine that Poe didn't see uh, some of the uh, violence and cruelty that was just sort of, uh, you know, part of everyday life in the in one of the centers of, of the slave trade. Mm-hmm. 
it sounds like then that there's not enough information available as to whether what he saw affected his writing and contributed sort of to the horror uh, writings of his. Right. I mean, and that's probably one of, you know, it, I, I address that in the book and, it, and my comments are pretty speculative, but I, I do point out that if you think about the kinds of, uh, the kinds of physical uh, cruelty that um, enslaved people were subject to, especially um, when they were being prepared for the market and sold, mm-hmm. um, it makes you think about kind of parallel situations, not necessarily inflicted upon uh, upon black people in Poe's work, but just the sort of disregard for human dignity mm-hmm. and the way that people are physically mistreated when they're unable to uh, to really fight back. And that happens so often in Poe's stories where the victims, you know, you, there aren't too many fair fights in Poe's stories. Usually the victims are like in the telltale heart, an old man, or in the black cat, you know, a, an animal, uh, and, you know, and a defenseless wife, mm-hmm. um, the pit and the pendulum. I mean, these aren't necessarily stories of, they're not always stories of torture as in the pit, pit and the pendulum, but they're often scenarios where the victim is utterly helpless and is physically abused. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sure. I mean, there's no proof that, you know, Poe was directly inspired from his exposure to the slave trade, but I think the echoes are, are pretty significant. Does the same apply to um, any any poor areas that he saw in these cities? Um, you know, people living just in general poverty, not you know, who weren't slaves. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think particularly in Baltimore, which was um, you know a period where one of the periods where he he endured um, you know, pretty dire poverty at times. Mm-hmm. Um, he he must have also kind of just seen uh, a level of despair and degradation that uh that made its way into his work Mm -hmm. i'm speaking with scott peoples author of the man of the crowd edgar Allan poe in the city you can find more information about his work on twitter at l scott peoples if you like this podcast full contact nerd interviews so far please subscribe if you want daily book suggestions for new fiction and non-fiction studies in sci-fi fantasy horror mysteries, gaming, game design, film history, and more, please check out my YouTube channel, Chris Alvarez, my website, chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com, and my Twitch channel, Full Contact Nerd. If you're looking for new military and general history books and information, check out warscholar.org and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want new technology, science, and space books, Check out technologyandspace.com and my podcast, Technology and Space. Now back to the podcast. And how about on the flip side, the um, the rich, you know, his exposure to, um, you know, high high society in these cities? Well, it's, it's fairly limited. I mean, Poe uh, got to know some pretty influential people, particularly in the publishing world. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, because he himself was never anything approaching uh, rich never even comfortably middle class really hmm. uh, his you know his, his opportunities to hobnob with uh, people in the upper echelons of society was uh, was limited to say the least um, hmm. 
he corresponded with some pretty prominent people. Um, but, you know, he really, you know, I think he, he knew <laughs> the lives of, of, of wealthy Philadelphians and New Yorkers more through what he read about them than through direct experience. I guess another thing I think of with um, Poe's writing, you know, obviously he has the old mansions, the the manor homes that are crumbling, that sort of thing. I guess in a sense, as, as modern readers, we look back at what he describes and we see it, these settings to us are, you know, old, you know, verging on ancient. And yet back then, these the, this sort of architecture and that sort of thing would be more contemporary for him. So I'm just curious about the play, you know, that play between our, our modern sensibilities about what is ancient, you know, and his. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, in, in a story like the fall of the house of Usher, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what immediately comes to mind when you, you, when you talk about, uh, you know, old manners, um, or even William Wilson, the architecture is meant to be old, even at, in Poe's time. Hmm. Um, uh, in some other stories, like maybe the murders in the Rue Morgue, perhaps not so much. Um, but uh, Poe was working with Gothic materials that had already been popular for uh, a good half a century. Mm-hmm. So when he, you know, when he puts a crumbling mansion like the House of Usher in a story. He's drawing on what uh, German and English writers particularly had been doing uh, since the mid 18th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not that that kind of stuff, I think, is not necessarily based on what he saw around him mm-hmm. as it was his reading and his appropriation of the Gothic tradition. OK. And so um, in the book, do you I guess you don't just touch on his fiction, you you go you uh, analyze all of his different types of writing. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. To, um, to an extent, I mean, it's really, the book is more biography than literary analysis. Okay. But of course I do talk about, uh, you know, a number of things that Poe wrote. Mm -hmm. Um, one of, you know, one of the, uh, sort of understudied works that I wanted to highlight in this book is a series that he wrote called doings of Gotham, Mm -hmm. uh, which he wrote, right after he moved to New York City in 1844. And it's, um, these are like newspaper uh, journalism mm-hmm. kinds of uh, writing that he, that he wrote just talking about the way that New York was changing and what it's like to live there. Mm-hmm. And he was plugging into a genre that had already been around uh, for, you know, for several years and that was very popular throughout the United States because people were so curious about New York. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, you read these and you think this is Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't immediately sound like the, uh, the Gothic Poe that, that we all, that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I spend time on works like that and other conspicuously urban stories like the man of the crowd, which is where I got the title for, for the book, mm-hmm. um, the murders in the room morgue, which is a very urban tale. So I kind of chose the the stories that I discuss more, you know, on that basis. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I I don't really do a whole lot of analysis of of poems because they they rarely have that kind of urban mm-hmm. uh, feel to them. Um, 
so it's a little you know it's a little bit different in terms of the works that i talk about so what elements of his surroundings or i guess as you said it's it's not a literary analysis um but perhaps you can still address this Did, could you tell what elements of the cities he highlighted in these works you know like the the you know the one about doings of gotham and, and that sort of thing yeah um well uh in philadelphia uh i th this is sort of my um, my argument for that chapter is that Poe was really playing up the discrepancy between appearance and reality mm. and was writing a lot of satires and writing stories that kind of expose um, a grandiose or pompous facade to be, you know, hiding something mm -hmm. or not what it appears to be. Um, and I kind of relate that to uh, the landscape uh, or the urban landscape of Philadelphia at the time, which um, actually had, you know, a lot of it's grand, very clean looking thoroughfares. It's, you know, it was, had the reputation of being a very orderly city. Of course, it's on a grid. Mm -hmm. But in the, in the meantime, there was, there was a lot of development in the back alleys. There was a lot, there was, they were already sort of subdividing properties into what we would now think of as tenements. And so I kind of take that idea of Philadelphia as perhaps having social unrest and problems and even architectural features that you don't immediately see mm -hmm. uh, as something that Poe was reflecting in in his writing. He was also friends with a guy named George Lepard. I don't know if you know um, Lepard's work, but Lepard was a great um, uh, 19th century Gothic writer. Um, who wrote a book called The Quaker City, which is all about the way that Philadelphia appears to be this uh, upstanding, clean city, but it's full of corruption and hypocrisy mm. and is, is basically a den of depravity. Huh. Interesting. And what's that author's name again? His name's George Lepard, L-I-P-P-A-R-D. Hmm. Okay. So why did uh, Poe make the... In what order did he live in these these cities and why did he make the move between each? Uh, well, the, the order is Richmond to Baltimore, to Philadelphia, to New York. Mm. Um, although it's not entirely that clean, he had lived uh, briefly in New York after leaving Richmond in 1835, and then he moved back to Philadelphia and then moved to New York longer term. Mm. He also moved, he also had a brief uh, uh period living in Richmond after he had lived in Baltimore. So it's not, you know, unfortunately for my, for my structure, <laughs> I had to finesse a little bit of Poe moving back and forth between these places. Mm -hmm. But basically he grew up in Richmond. Um, he started his career as a short story writer in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Then after a brief period in Richmond, moved to Philadelphia, that's where his career really took off. And then uh, moved to New York, had a big hit with the Raven and then, you know, kind of lived out the, the last four or five years of his life, uh, mm -hmm. in, in New York and in, and in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, uh, and I realized that, and I guess he would have been about three years old, the war of 1812. I don't know how, how that might've influenced, not him, but his family, any of his family fortunes or anything like that. Uh, not really that I, at least not that I know of, mm -hmm. um, I think because because he was so young, it, you know, 
probably didn't have too much of an impact on him. It did have, the War of 1812 did have a pretty big impact um, on uh, Baltimore. And so Baltimore civic pride, you know, it was kind of built in the aftermath of, of the War of 1812. So Poe was exposed to that a little bit later. But um, yeah, I, I don't really get into that in the book. Okay. Yeah, that was just a, kind of a thought that hit me there. So what are some of the, so we've discussed some of the, what I think are the main themes, but w what other issues do you touch on in the book that we haven't mentioned yet? Well, um, probably the, the other thread that runs through the book is that Poe was uh, almost always on the move. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a couple of periods of relative stability. Um, for instance, in Philadelphia, he lived in the same lived at the same location for um, uh, almost four years, mm -hmm. um, which was incredible for him over the course of his lifetime because he, mm -hmm. he rarely stayed in the same at the same address for more than about a year. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, um, I, I try to emphasize the fact that Poe was moving a lot, mm -hmm. uh, both within cities and from city to city. And I think it's indicative of the kind of career he had, uh, where he never had the kind of success where he could choose a place to settle down and just say, okay, you know, this is my ideal. This is the home I'm going to build. And, uh, I'm just going to stay here. Mm -hmm. He was always pursuing a better opportunity in the publishing world. Um, a more healthy environment for his wife who contracted tuberculosis, uh, in the early 1840s. Uh, and so there's this sort of restlessness, uh, and Poe always kind of trying to get ahead and thinking, okay, things will be better if, you know, if we move to New York mm -hmm. or if we move from lower Manhattan, uh, out to the Bronx, mm -hmm. um, then, then it'll, it'll be okay. Uh, so I think that that's another big part of where Poe lives is that he rarely stays in one place for very long. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if he would have much choice in where with it, where in these cities he lived, but I think another thing is I think modern writers like to see him as, you know, a dark figure drawn towards, you know, spooky kind of gothic settings that, you know, he would dress like that or maybe, you know, live, you know, like to be near cemeteries. But in actuality, you know, what what was he looking for as he moved? Did you get any sense of his personal affinities? Uh, I think he had, um, I, I think he had an affinity for more rural places, which is sort of might sound a little odd since my book is uh, all about Poe in the city, mm -hmm. but I don't think Poe lived in, at least not in the more densely populated urban centers because he really wanted to, mm -hmm. but more because he had to. And he experimented several times with living more on the outskirts uh, and I think that's where he kind of wanted to be, mm -hmm. but it created, you know, it created the kind of problems you would imagine, um, especially for somebody who didn't have a lot of money to spend on transportation, just mm -hmm. that he would probably have to, you know, he might have to walk five miles from uh, the Upper West Side of Manhattan down to uh, around Nassau Street, where the publishing uh, houses were, mm -hmm. if he wanted to live away from the, the, the sort of grimy part of the city, but still have the advantages of proximity to uh, the publishing center. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So, I mean, that was sort of the, I mean, that, that's a kind of essential conflict for Poe, I think. Mm. Um, he moves out to the Bronx for fresher air and, uh, for a more rural environment. And he's a little bit luckier then because there's a train line, uh, the Harlem, the New York and Harlem railroad, mm. uh, that, uh, had a stop, uh, in, in, in Fordham, mm. uh, right close to where Poe was living. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I think, um, Poe would have liked to live kind of either on the outskirts or what we might call early suburbs, mm -hmm. uh, if he could have, but it was a hard thing for him to pull off for very long. Mm -hmm. And then in, uh, like, you know, I see the weather out today, you know, it's cold and snowy and I just imagine what it was like in those cities when he was living there and, and he didn't have a lot of money to live somewhere comfortable enough. Right. Right. No, it, you know, it, it was a hard life. Um, and, uh, Poe lived with his, uh, his wife who was also his first cousin mm -hmm. and her mother, uh, from about 1835, uh, on until his, uh, until his wife died in 1847 mm -hmm. and then Poe himself died in, in 1849. Um, but that, you know, they almost always lived in, um, uh, well, at best modest, uh, housing, uh, and, uh, you know, often were dependent on charity for, um, you know, for, for basic necessities. Um, they, they had a pretty rough time of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, how did he manage actually writing, you know, like the materials he needed and, and storing it and, and moving it with him. Do you have any sense of his difficulties with that? Well, I think that he, you know, he probably always took, uh, you know, a, a trunk or a box full of manuscripts and books with him when, when he moved. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you asked a really interesting question because um, Poe is, trying to make a living doing something that kind of requires some office space mm -hmm. to, we would, at least we would think. Mm -hmm. Um, but he just can't, you know, he could never really afford that. Um, or, uh, or nor could he really afford to hold on to manuscripts for very long. So, um, uh, Poe wasn't really much of an archivist of his own, of his own writing. Mm. Um, he wrote something, he took it to a, to a magazine office and he sold it or if he was working for that magazine you know he didn't he didn't have to make the trip mm -hmm. but uh those manuscripts were were turned into magazine articles uh about usually about as quickly as poe could get them into print so that he could get paid mm -hmm. so i would imagine the process would be I, I don't know what paper was like then or and i would imagine he's using fountain pens yeah you know he, he does his edits and whatever there hands them off to the publisher and then they just convert it into their, you know, they put it in their printing press or whatever. And Yeah, that's right. And then um, what would later happen if Poe wanted to reprint something um, and, and revise it before he reprinted it either uh, in a book or in another magazine, is he would usually do the edits on a copy that was printed out from, you know, from the previous press. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, editors who trace the development of, of, uh, individual works by Poe go back and look at, you know, uh, at edits that he made on early copies, mm -hmm. 
of the early printings of those works. Mm -hmm. When he was in Richmond, did he um, did he live in the same house throughout the time he was there until he left, or did he move around within Richmond? Uh, that's yeah, that's that's a good question, and it's kind of a, a complicated one. When you asked me earlier about uh, his exposure to uh, to to wealthier families, uh, I should have mentioned that the Allen family became wealthy right not very long before Poe left and kind of started out on his own. Uh, so he grew; he didn't really grow up in a wealthy household, a uh, comfortable one with the Allens. They, you know, they were, you know, they were better off than Poe ever was uh, in his adult life, mm-hmm. but. John Allen, Poe's foster father, inherited a fortune uh, when Poe was about uh, about 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for a fairly brief time, Poe lived in a mansion in Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, but coincidentally, when, the, when John Allen became especially prosperous, it was also the time that Poe became more rebellious. And so he was uh, not getting along real well with Alan uh, just at the time where it might've made sense for him to ingratiate himself to his foster father. Um, But as for the the, the question about Richmond and places where Poe lived, the Allen family, when Poe was growing up, lived in a handful of different locations uh, pretty much in the center of Richmond, near where the Capitol complex is now, mm-hmm. uh, and, and was then. The Capitol, you know, the Capitol building was there when Poe was living there as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, right in downtown Richmond, probably, oh, you know, probably at least four or five different locations when Poe was growing up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when he moved back, he lived in the same area uh, for the year or so that he was working at the Southern Literary Messenger. Hmm. I'm speaking with Scott Peoples, author of The Man of the Crowd, Edgar Allan Poe in the City. You can find more information about his work on Twitter at L. Scott Peoples. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd interviews so far, please subscribe. If you want daily book suggestions for new fiction and nonfiction studies in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, mysteries, gaming, game design, film history, and more, please check out my YouTube channel, Chris Alvarez, my website, chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com, and my Twitch channel, Full Contact Nerd. If you're looking for new military and general history books and information, check out warscholar.org and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want new technology, science, and space books, check out technologyandspace.com in my podcast, Technology and Space. Now back to the podcast. So let me um, let me ask then about some of the resources you used for your research. Um, and the first question I have is, how much is there, how much um, letters or any writing from people who knew Poe or were aware of him at the time he was alive who might have wrote written anything that gave you information on what he was doing? Well, luckily for me, um, most of the material that uh, would have been archival a couple of generations ago 
has been published or made available uh, online. Mm. Uh, so that made my job a lot easier. I did go to, um, yeah, I did go to several archives, um, but most of what I looked at there, places like um, uh, the the Free Library of Philadelphia, University of Virginia um, Special Collections. But most of what they have on Poe has, you know, other people have not only looked at, but but published. So, um, you know, I kind of discovered that most of what I needed to look at was uh, was available to me, you know, in, in print. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes a lot of letters from people who letters to Poe as well as from Poe during his lifetime mm-hmm. um, and reminiscences by people who had known Poe published in magazines, mostly in the late 19th and early 20th, mostly late 19th century, not so much early 20th. Mm-hmm. Um, because Poe remained popular and controversial, uh, you know, really since his death. Mm-hmm. So there was always kind of a market for articles by people who had known him even just a little bit. And so a lot of the research that I draw on, a lot of the sources that I draw on are um, reminiscences in popular magazines by people who um, who said that they knew Poe when he lived in Baltimore or in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, of course, Poe's own letters uh, and, and existing biographies that have done a lot of this uh, a lot of this groundwork as well. Are there any, um, you know, rental rec, you know, records, any kind of leases or anything that exists as far as, you know, when he moves into a place, you know, and, and sign the contract? There are occasionally, but not too, not too much. It's more, um, uh, more often there'll be like a member of the family, uh, that he was renting from who would later write about, Oh yes. Poe and his wife and mother-in-law lived with lived with our family for six months in 1844. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my father, you know, so you get the details more uh, from those kinds of sources, which can be a little bit problematic, of course, because people are drawing on their own memories and maybe they were, you know, in some cases they might've been children at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you, you kind of have to take a lot of that evidence with a grain of salt, but um but that, yeah, you, you you get more of those kinds of sources than actual uh, leases or, um, you know, canceled checks or anything like that. You know, th- those are harder to come by. When did, what year did Poe become famous, basically? He became truly famous, I would say, in 1845 with the publication of The Raven. Okay. Um, he had been well known before that. Um, he had... You know, this was f- fairly late in his career when The Raven came out. Um, so uh, he already had a reputation as a critic, uh, as an editor, as a poet, uh, and as a short story writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had, you know, he had worked on Graham's Magazine, which was one of the most uh, widely distributed magazines in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, the gold bug had been a pretty big success. So he was, he was pretty well known already. Uh, but not like, he wasn't like Charles Dickens well known. He wasn't Henry Wadsworth Longfellow well known. So he wasn't like in that upper 
tier of household names. Mm-hmm. Um, but then with the Raven for, you know, for a relatively brief period, he was, you know, he, he'd written like suddenly the most popular poem in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that kind of put him on another level. I guess it's hard to fathom how someone can become famous off a Gothic poem. You know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, I guess I'm trying to figure out what, what the literary society, what, what society was like then where you could achieve success with something like that. Was he just lucky or were people looking for, I know the Gothic was popular then. Right. Um, no, that's a wonderful question. And I think, um, I think a lot of it had to do with the cultural value of poetry itself at the time. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that poetry was just more of a mainstream activity in 1845 than, you know, than, than it obviously is today. Um, and people would, rec- would read and recite poems in the home. They, you know, they grooved on it the way, you know, like, you know, you know I, I'm trying not to state the obvious, you know, but before radio, much less the internet or all of the ways that people consume popular culture, mm-hmm. um, people bought books of poetry and they read them to each other. Mm-hmm. And so you actually could be a famous person by being a poet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that had a lot to do with it. And then with the Raven specifically, it's just so catchy. I mean, and it, mm-hmm. I, I think it has more to do with the uh, hypnotic rhythm and the sound effects, the internal rhyme, um, the same things that draw people to that poem today mm-hmm. uh, drew people to it when it when it was first published. So, and then, you know, it doesn't hurt that it has that mysterious, uh, spooky theme to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I, I think it just had a lot to do with the music of the poem and the fact that people were so primed for, uh, you know, for, for, for that kind of poetry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so are there any other, um, resources that you haven't mentioned that you used? Uh, you mentioned a few of your, your sources of material. Well, um, one resource that I, I have to acknowledge particularly is the, uh, post society of Baltimore website, which is maintained by, uh, a guy named Jeffrey Savoy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's a kind of, uh, Clearinghouse might be the wrong word, but it's it, he, he maintains this site with uh, a great archive of obscure published work on Poe mm-hmm. that uh, would be really hard to find anywhere else. So instead of um, having to plow through a lot of microfilm or um, or find like a, an 1875 copy of Scribner's <laughs> magazine that has an article about Poe in it. A lot of that stuff is on the Post Society of Baltimore website and is available to anybody <laughs> electronically. Uh, you know, I would highly recommend any to anybody who is uh, interested, particularly in more obscure, older writings about Edgar Allan Poe, to look at the Post Society of Baltimore's website. Mm-hmm. Another, you know, I, I also owe a great deal to uh, previous Poe biographies which are, you know, more complete biographies. Mine is more focused on Poe's experience in the cities, but mm-hmm. Kenneth Silverman's uh, biography, uh, Edgar A. Poe, Mournful and Never-Ending Remembrance, mm-hmm. 
Um, it's tremendously helpful. I mean, I read and reread that biography as I was working on this, this book. Um, Arthur Hobson Quinn's biography from the early 40s mm-hmm. uh, was also enormously helpful. Uh, I relied a lot on the work of previous scholars. Um, it would sound cooler to say, you know, that I spent years and years in dusty archives digging up this stuff myself. But I, but to be honest, um, with Poe, there have been generations of scholars who have sort of done that for people like me. Hmm. So, um, was he, uh, did he experience crime in any of these cities against himself or against his family or his property? There's no, uh, there's no case that I know of, of Poe being, uh, mugged or burglarized, um, or being the victim of sort of random violence. Hmm. He did occasionally get into, uh, get into fights with, Hmm. with people, um, physical fights. Yeah. There are a couple of incidents where Poe either, you know, would challenge someone to a duel. Fortunately, you know, none, none ever resulted in anybody getting killed. Mm-hmm. Um, or there, there's one episode where he it's a kind of a long story, but uh, the short version of it is um, he went to a friend to borrow a pistol to defend himself against someone else who, you know, that's sort of the long story of is, is why he felt like he needed a pistol, hmm. but, uh, his friend didn't want to lend it to him <laughs> and they got into a fist fight. <laughs> uh, and, uh, of course, both of them claimed that they got the better of, of the other guy. I kind of suspect that that Poe is more on the losing end of, of that one. Yeah. Uh, and Poe was, uh, jailed at, at least once hmm. um, for a, for debt in Baltimore yeah. and might have been jailed again later in Philadelphia. So, I mean, he did experience some of the, <laughs> some of the worst aspects of poverty and urban life. Um, but I don't think he was ever like the victim of a random hmm. uh, crime. And, uh, also at this period, I think, um, obviously these cities are in different states. And at the time, I think states were a lot more, um, I don't want to go so far as to say each one was like a different country, but I think people traveled so much less between states that there was more of a cultural divide in a sense. Do you know, did he experience any sort of anti-Virginia sentiments (laughs) or anything like that as he moved to these different states? You know, I don't really, I don't really think he did. And I mean, it's significant that Poe died in 49. And even though there was certainly, you know, there were sectional differences and there was tension between the North and the South Mm -hmm. um, well before the Civil War, it intensified so much in the 1850s. I think Poe may have avoided uh, a good bit of that. and, and there's not really any record of hostility toward him uh, once he was living in Philadelphia or New York because of his Virginia heritage. Mm-hmm. Poe did kind of play regionalism uh, to his own advantage as an editor and as a journalist. I mean, he he liked. I mean, Poe liked to pick fights uh, mm-hmm. as a as a reviewer, um, and he was really known for that. 
Mm-hmm. So when he was working for a Virginia magazine, the Southern Literary Messenger, he took on the New York literary establishment um, and, you know, basically would write really scathing reviews of novels by New York writers saying they were really overrated. Huh. Um, but when he lived in New York, uh, he took on Boston. So he, you know, he made Bostonians his, his favorite target, you know, when he became a, a Gothamite himself, hmm. uh, you know, and so, I mean, I, th- I think it was just sort of part of his MO hmm. to make a name for himself by getting into these little wars with, um, you know, with, with, uh, with writers from other regions. Mm-hmm. Did his uh, drinking get worse after his wife died or was he always a bit of a drinker? His drinking did get worse after, um, well, actually it got worse, um, while his wife was in decline. Mm. Um, and then it got worse again after his wife died, not necessarily in the immediate aftermath, but, um, you know, but at some point later, it really kind of came not exactly in predictable cycles, but Poe could stay sober for pretty long periods of time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, he would have a period of weeks or months where people were really worried about him because of his of his drinking. But mm-hmm. one of one of the worst periods for that was uh, toward the end of his time in Philadelphia in the early 1840s, when um, when his wife was very sick, and he later you know attributed it to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there had been earlier uh, episodes of heavy drinking as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Poe really had um a dangerous relationship with alcohol Hmm. he was not uh he was not the kind of alcoholic who could drink heavily on a daily basis and still be functional Mm -hmm. um he again he would go for fairly long stretches without drinking at all and many people said of him once he had one drink uh, one glass of wine he was he was a goner because he wouldn't be able to stop and, uh, you know, it would always end in, uh, kind of debilitating sickness. So it, Poe was not a fun drunk and he wasn't a, you know, somebody who could hold his, his liquor, um, but was just dependent on it. He was really somebody who needed to stay away from it altogether. And he, he knew that. Mm-hmm. And it makes me then think about with these four cities, um, you know, was he going to bars in these cities? And then also what sort of hospitals did they have to take care of him once he got really bad? Um, well, there were, as you would imagine, there were plenty of bars, uh, in, uh, in Philadelphia, New York and Baltimore and Richmond. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Poe was in a business like many businesses where it would have been, uh, kind of, you know, just habitual for, uh, other editors or writers or people that he you know, needed to know to say, yes, let's go, let's go have a drink. I mean, it was, this was, you know, a, a period of pretty high alcohol consumption generally in, in the U S. Um, so the temptations would have been constant, um, for, for Poe. Mm-hmm. He probably never drank at home. So there, you know, there was a kind of a, you know, a safety in that, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, there are stories of him showing up at home and his mother-in-law 
you know, just being very angry at whoever he was with for getting Eddie drunk. And um, uh, so, sure, I mean, he, he definitely frequented uh, the saloons of all four of those cities mm-hmm. um, as and, much as he might have tried to resist it. Yeah. And as far as using the hospitals, you know, I, like you said, you know, when it got to the point of just debilit- where he was debilitated. Yeah. And that really didn't happen until his death. He en- mm. he ended up at uh, uh, Washington College Hospital in Baltimore. And at that point, it might not have, it, it probably wasn't just drinking. Um, he really had been sick in the days leading up to his mysterious disappearance right before he, he, he died. But mm-hmm. um, that's the only time I know of that Poe actually landed in a hospital. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So what part of this research, and, and you've been researching Poe for a while, um, what part of the research for this particular book did you find most enjoyable? Well, going to the cities. Um, you know, I wanted to get, you know, not only did I want to check out uh, some of the libraries and archives um, just to see if I had missed anything, so I had that excuse, but I also wanted to just walk around the streets where Poe had walked and try to find the locations of, you know, places, most of which are long gone, a few of which still stand, of course, okay. uh, where, you know, where Poe had lived. Mm-hmm. So being sort of a Poe tourist in, um, in these places was, uh, was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you, and again, focusing on this book, what did you discover that was most surprising to you? You know, I, I'd, I'd go back to a moment when I was, uh, on the Upper West Side, uh, around uh, 83rd, 84th Street and Broadway, mm-hmm. um, right around where Poe had lived when this was, you know, beyond what people considered New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thinking about the way that that had been farmland when Poe lived there, but also thinking about what we were talking about earlier, the fact that for the seven or eight months that Poe lived on this, in in this farmhouse, um, in upper Manhattan, how he would have to get to, uh, where he had to be in order to sell manuscripts, Mm -hmm. uh, or for a while even to work because he got a job in an editorial office down, uh, around city hall in that area. Mm -hmm. And that's a long walk. I mean, that's, you know, that's going to take, that's going to take you an hour and a half at least, um, uh, and even though he probably wouldn't have had to stop as much for traffic lights uh, and whatnot, Poe would have had basically that same walk to make. I mean, there were other options. There were omnibuses, but they were really slow. Mm-hmm. And, and Poe probably, because he didn't have much money, just hoofed it. Mm-hmm. So that was a moment, you know, it wasn't like a total shock, but it was a, a moment where I thought about just the day-to-day difficulties of Poe's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, living in 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 the cities where he pretty much had to be in order to ply his trade, mm-hmm. and that reminds me of a question I had. Um, I guess paper mailing letters must have been kind of cheap because, considering his poverty, if he was mailing letters to people, in a sense that seems like a luxury considering what he was his his financial situation. Um, yeah, it was cheap and. Um, and, and also as somebody who worked in the 
a periodical business, he might have had ways of sort of getting around even uh, letter postage mm-hmm. um, because the the periodicals would would travel for free. Oh. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just such a fact of life. It would be like not having a telephone or, you know, now I guess a, a, a cell phone, but mm-hmm. um, it was, it was an expense, but it was an expense that nobody could really do without mm-hmm. um, if they wanted to have a job. Okay. And was he, did you get the or did he write all, was he writing all the time, you know, in some capacity, either for his work or letters? Was he just. Yeah. He was right. I mean, <laughs> not only is there no period where he isn't uh, writing, but there probably other than days when he was too hungover to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Hope probably wrote just about every day. I mean, he was really productive mm-hmm. uh, throughout his his entire career. Mm-hmm. He wasn't always writing uh, the kinds of you know, the, the kinds of stuff that people really enjoy reading today. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, you know, I would say toward the end of his life, with the exception of a handful of poems and stories, um, he was writing, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that people aren't, aren't that at least most readers aren't that interested in now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was always writing. He was, uh, you know, just a, a very busy guy. Was he visiting, did he have friends in these cities? Was he visiting their homes, their apartments regularly? Or was he more, you know, work, home, and then maybe the bar or some, somewhere else? Yeah, I think, um, you know, occasionally uh, he he was visiting people in their homes. I mean, that there are, you know, instances of that. But my impression uh, is that generally the Poe family as a family kept to themselves, hmm. Poe was pretty sociable out in the world, out in the, in, in, you know, the, the world that he knew, the publishing world mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was his, you know, his social circle was his work circle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, was there a question again for this book? Was there a particular question that you had a lot of difficulty or the most difficulty trying to um, conquer? come to a conclusion on and either you did or it's still an open question for you. And I know there are lots of gaps always with something like this. Here's where I'm glad you'll be able to edit. Cause I don't think anybody's asked me that question before. <laughs> so like, uh, it's, it's almost like one of those psychological tests. Like when I ask the question, what's the first thing that, that pops in your yeah. head? Like, Oh, that, <laughs> that particular question. There are a lot of small questions that I wish I had been able to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I still don't quite know what um, what a workday was like for Poe when he was at the New York Mirror or uh, Burton's Gentleman's Magazine. I know he was writing and editing other people's work and corresponding with people, mm-hmm. but I wish there was something more like a diary. So... I would love to know, like, during what hours of the day he was doing what and how often somebody would just walk into the office and say, uh, hey, Edgar, <laughs> uh, I've got something for you. There's a, a poem I just wrote. I mean, that kind of detail. I mean, just um, so things things like that. Um, I was hoping to really I, I wish I could describe daily life on a more granular level than I was able to do with with 
with confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, I wish I had a, I mean, a, a better answer to the question, did Poe consider himself ultimately to be a success or a failure? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about Poe, uh, you know, almost as a, a is a Willie Loman figure in some ways, uh, hmm. somebody who's fighting against his own, his own crummy fate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also had a, he had a good deal of success, but he never really achieved what I think he wanted to achieve, which was to control his own high tone literary magazine hmm. and to have stability in his life and to be recognized as uh, a great writer and a great editor. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, you know, he had success here and there. He was always kind of on the make, uh, trying to find a little bit more of that success. Um, but I wonder if, you know, when he reflected on it, as I was going to say late in his life, but he only lived to be 40. Mm-hmm. Um, if he thought that he had really achieved a, a lot, or if he thought, no, I just, I, I, I'm not there yet. And, and my, you know, my gut is that it was more the latter, that he always felt like there was more to do, that he, he needed to prove himself to, to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, that's, a, a, that's one of those really hard questions to answer. Why did he become a writer? Uh, <laughs> well, for one thing, I think he discovered that he was good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I ask because I wonder why not become a lawyer? You know, you know if he had if he yeah. liked to argue and debate and that sort of thing, and you know, yeah, it's a great question. Early in his life, I think Poe became infatuated by romantic poetry, particularly oh. uh, Byron. Mm-hmm. And so, when he was still a teenager, he was starting to write poems and thinking about himself as a poet. And at the age of 18, he published his first book of poems, which nobody read. I mean, there were you know, only a few copies published. Mm-hmm. And then when he was 20, he published another book of poems that nobody read. And when he was 22, he published another book of poems that nobody read. And I, I think, you know, he had this romantic idea mm-hmm. of himself as this romantic poet at some point, and, and I would say that point was in Baltimore in the early 1830s, um, he said to himself, or John Pendleton Kennedy, uh, uh, you know, a friend that he made in Baltimore, said to him, you know, you ought to try writing fiction because you can sell that to magazines and there's a market for it. And Poe said, okay. And so he started doing that and found his career. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that would be my answer is that he sort of was drawn into it with these more romantic ideals mm-hmm. and then found a way to possibly make a living, mm-hmm. even though, you know, he barely did. Uh, but I think that's kind of how it happened. Okay. Did, uh, was there anything that you discovered that had a strong emotional impact on you? like either ne- negatively or positively, like something that really made you sad or or just joyful or, or funny? <laughs> huh. 
you know, to some extent, I already knew this, but Poe could really, um, he could really be kind of a jerk. Um, and, you know, if you've read a, a, a few biographies of Poe, that, that wouldn't really be news. Mm-hmm. He had his, you know, he had his reasons. He had a, you know, he faced a lot of frustration and hardship. Um, but he didn't always deal completely honestly with other people. Um, and, you know, he had kind of, he had a real competitive streak, a real mean streak. Hmm. Um, so I guess, you know, that wasn't a real emotional hit for me because I've been studying Poe for a long time and, and I always sort of knew that. Hmm. Um, but I would say the flip side of that is just, you know, I also have a lot of compassion for Poe because the guy was a genius. He was ahead of his time in so many ways and he was so versatile as a writer um, he did deserve better from, from his times mm-hmm. and he did deserve to be famous and to be able to have that house in the country. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, you, hopefully people will, will get this same feeling when they read the, read my book, but mm-hmm. Poe's not always the most admirable figure in the world, but he is also kind of a sympathetic figure, mm-hmm. um, for, you know, considering the, the hardships that he faced. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I mean, I know that I don't want to overdo the Willie Loman comparison, but I think, you know, the sort of mixed feelings you have about a, mm-hmm. a character like that, you might have about Poe too. And it's always interesting. Our, our, our most beloved, I think a lot of times our most beloved celebrities in society seem to be those who die young and tragically or relatively young. So I wonder, you know, if Poe had lived longer and been successful, I guess he could, he would have been like a Mark Twain, but I wonder how much it adds to his, his reputation that he died, lived and died as he, as he did. Oh, I think it, um, it has been one of the factors that has shaped his modern reputation and popularity. I mean, it, you know, it, it makes him all the more of a, of a goth icon, hmm. uh, to have died tragically young mm-hmm. Without. And to have died and to have died under sort of mysterious circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, just adds to that mystique. Mm-hmm. We see Did he use opium at all or just, was it just alcohol? Well, um, <laughs> he was not a habitual opium user. I think mm-hmm. that gets over, um, that's part of the Poe myth. Hmm. Uh, is, you know, is that he was a, a, a habitual drug user. Hmm. There was one episode where Poe uh, claimed to have attempted suicide by taking laudanum, which was a, a, a tincture of opium in hmm. alcohol. So he did actually try to overdose on it at one point, but hmm. that's the only that's the only reference to opium uh, that Poe ever made in his own letters and. Uh, people who remembered him don't talk about him using uh, using opium. They talk about him drinking all the time, but they don't talk about opium. Mm-hmm. Um, have has anyone ever identified like what it was, like what sort of inner demons he had, or you know um, that drove this behavior? Well, I I think probably his. Uh, his childhood, uh, you know, that might seem like the predictable, uh, answer if you're, if you're looking for the source of, 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 uh, adult 
demons or 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 neuroses mm -hmm. but uh you know poe never knew his his biological father his his mother died when he was just under three years old mm -hmm. um and i think that dislocation and that trauma and then being raised in a household where he was never formally adopted mm -hmm. uh and where the love seemed to be sort of conditional mm -hmm. um I think that probably had a bigger impact on his emotional life as an adult than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, other people have done a better job of explicating this than, than I can. But um, I think the way that he clung to his, uh, you know, his, his very young wife um, and then, and then later to his mother-in-law and his sort of desperate search for, um, a woman, a, a, another woman to marry after Virginia died. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that pattern and other patterns of behavior, you can probably trace back to the loss of his mother mm -hmm. um, and his sort of feeling of not really being, you know, being in a family, but not really being in a family when he was growing up with the Allens in, in Richmond. Mm -hmm. um, did he have any siblings? And, um, he did. I mean, he had, he had a brother, um, Henry, and a uh, sister, Rosalie, mm -hmm. who were raised in different families. So yeah. each of the three, when they were all orphaned, uh, each of the three children went to a different family. Did they stay in touch at all? Um, yes. In fact, Poe and, and his brother Henry lived together with um, uh, Mariah Clem in Baltimore in the early 1830s until Henry died. So... Um, he Poe seems to have had a good relationship uh, with his brother, who incidentally was also an alcoholic mm. um, and who died even younger than, than Edgar did. And then um, his sister, Rosalie, he lost touch with, but then spent some time with when he visited Richmond uh, in the last year of his life. So they were uh, somewhat reunited then. But he he and Rosalie were not generally very close. Yeah, but still, what you you described is more dislocation, and then re, you know, finding his family again, and then losing them. It's just such a such a churn of of emotional experiences. Yeah. Um, though I guess I would imagine that that's this period in American history, you know, with disease and stuff, that that's maybe not uncommon, but it's still not you know, still tragic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have any difficulties getting the book, um, finished or published? Writing it wasn't like a constant struggle. I, you know, I was fortunate to have, uh, a sabbatical at one point, mm -hmm. uh, where I was able to make a lot of progress, uh, and a couple of summers where I could get a lot of writing done, mm -hmm. but it's always difficult, uh, finishing a, a big project. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, as far as uh, publishing goes, um, I worked with an agent on this book, uh, along with uh, my collaborator, Michelle Van Paris, who, uh, who was the photographer who, whose, whose photographs are, are interspersed throughout the book. Mm -hmm. And we, um, so we, we worked with an agent uh, who uh, found Princeton University Press for us, and Princeton has just been uh, great to work with. So uh, I feel very lucky both in 
the fact that my institution supported me in, in getting the book written and uh, also had a lot of support from, from the press. How many photos are in the book? There are, I think, 20 of uh, Michelle's photographs, and then there are about another 10 or 12 archival images. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's nicely illustrated. Okay, that's pretty cool. And I, I assume they're of areas that he, he would have been familiar with. Yes. Um, and you know, a lot of them are of the, you know, the, the houses that are still standing where Poe lived. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the house in Baltimore, Philadelphia, and in the Bronx, mm -hmm. uh, and then other locations. I mean, she's, uh, Michelle also created some blended photographs with archival images, and then her own modern photograph, uh, kind of superimposed on them. So for instance, the location of the Allen house in, uh, Richmond, mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, that's a photograph where she uh, took a, took a photograph of the, the lot as it looks now, and then superimposed uh, an earlier image of the house. Hmm. Uh, so there are a handful of those, which I think are really cool. Yeah. And then, um, just other, yeah, other photographs of places that, uh, that I talk about in the book. Okay. Okay. Uh, what's your next writing project or your current one at this point? Do you have something? Um, I'm really kind of, uh, looking around for something to latch onto. Um, I've got a couple of articles that are uh, a couple of academic articles that are coming out this year. Um, one is actually on, uh, Melville and Bob Dylan. Hmm. Uh, but, uh, I am kind of trying to do a little bit of revision on that and then otherwise kind of looking for the, for the next thing I want to write about. Um, and will it be about something focused on 19th century literature? It will, it will be something focused on 19th century America, hmm. probably with some literary, uh, angle to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but probably not about Poe. I mean, I, I'm certainly not through with Poe. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, want to write about somebody or something else mm -hmm. next and then and then maybe go back to poe later oh, okay i i will say i've been getting very interested in daguerreotypy uh and so i think that uh that might be part of whatever i whatever i do next but i really am not far along enough to to be able to to say much about the new project mm -hmm. okay to tell you the truth man it's just been you know it's been COVID <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. for the last year. And I, I finished the book early in the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the sort of the last stages, the proofreading and everything. And since then um, it's been kind of hard to, to focus on anything, any mm -hmm. kind of new project. Right. No, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have, do you have a, uh anything online where people can follow, follow your thoughts, social media or website? Uh, well, I am on, on Twitter, mm -hmm. um, L Scott peoples. And, um, uh, I have a page on academic academia edu. Mm -hmm. Um, if anyone's interested in, uh, accessing, uh, some of my articles, uh, and, you know, they're just, uh, taking a look at my CV. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, those would probably be the best places to find more. And I have a, I have an Amazon, I have an author page on Amazon as well. Okay. And I'll spell that the Twitter account L S C O T T P E E P L E S. Right. Yep. Okay. All right. Good, good. Um, 
All right. That's all the questions I have. Do you have any final thoughts or words? Uh, no, just thank you so much. I've enjoyed our, our talk. It's, it's been great to kind of, you know, have a, a nice uh, in-depth and leisurely conversation about, uh, about Poe and the book. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. And, and forgive some of my more ignorant questions, but I was just getting into the basics. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's quite all right. I mean, I'm happy to, you know, happy to have the opportunity to fill in those, those gaps. Cool, cool. Well, yeah, so thank you for speaking with me. All right, thanks again, Chris. Thank you for listening to Full Contact Nerd Interviews. If you like this episode, please subscribe for more. If you want daily book suggestions for new fiction and nonfiction studies in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, mysteries, gaming, game design, film history, and more, please check out my YouTube channel, Chris Alvarez, my website, chrisalvarez.com, or fullcontactnerd.com, and my Twitch channel, Full Contact Nerd. If you're looking for new military and general history books and information, Check out warscholar.org and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want new technology, science, and space books, check out technologyandspace.com and my podcast, Technology and Space. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to keep imagining the past, the present, and the future.